0: luxury quality within reach go to quince.com style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com
3: style that's something that i've seen popping up on tumblr the idea that roach is actually immortal and Geralt just thinks that all horses are like that
4: <laughs> <laughs> i love
3: that Rusty Quill presents Enthusiasm. Hello, friends and fans, and welcome to Enthusiasm, the show where we talk about a few of our favourite things. I am your host, Helen Gould, one of the best Rusty Quillers, and today we're talking about The Witcher. And I am enchanted to be joined by Maddie and Sarah. As always, we shall introduce ourselves alphabetically, which means that Maddie is going first. So, Maddie, what are your pronouns and what do you do? Hello, I'm Maddie Searle. My pronouns are she,
5: her, and I do various things for Rusty Quill. I've worked on Stellar Firma's lead editor, I've been director on Inexplicables, and right now I'm working on Chapter
3: Multiverse, the currently upcoming actual play show. Yay! Very excited! Congratulations again. <laughs> Thank you. I think I've already congratulated you in another episode of this. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> well, I mean it very much.
4: But yeah, c- congratulations can be continuous. <laughs> <can> I'm <I've> <laughs>
3: <my laughs> And Sarah, what are your pronouns, and what do you do?
4: Hey, y'all. Uh, I'm Sarah Shackett. My pronouns are she/her, and I am delighted to be joining the Rusty Quill family, working on a series called Cry Havoc. Ask questions later.
3: Yes. I really, I really can't wait. It's going to be so good. I'm sure of it. I mean, I like anything classics based anyway. Very excited.
4: Oh, brilliant. Good. As a former classics major, I have just been waiting for someone to write in a show set in this period of ancient Roman history. And thankfully, David K. Barnes did it. So (laughs) yeah,
3: Moving on from the Romans, let's talk about where we first came across The Witcher. My confession is that I have not played the games, but I have seen the TV show. And up front, there are probably going to be spoilers for both season one and season two of the Netflix Witcher show and probably for all of the games. So continue listening at your peril. (laughs) I will put a note in the show notes as well if you, for some reason, start this podcast Half an hour in, so do either of you want to go first? What were your experiences with The Witcher? Sure, I came to the games
4: first, so mm-hmm. that's that's how I know The Witcher. Primarily, I have watched both seasons of the the TV show and. When the pandemic started, the great Emma Szerjarko, who is an audio drama legend, started a Witcher book club. So I've read a few. I spaced out and dropped out of the book club eventually. But I have read some of the novels in translation as well, which has been fun. In translation? Yes, because they're originally in Polish. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Andrzej Sapowski is the writer, I think. Sapkowski? Sapowski. Yeah. We're very prepared know lots about the witch. <laughs> yeah.
5: My special talent is that I studied linguistics for my undergrad and I can read International Phonetic Alphabet, so I've oh, multiple so cool. times gone into the Wikipedia article and tried to remember how to pronounce the name, and I think it is Sapovsky, but I could be wrong. I need,
3: to, I need to go back and check and read the <laughs> International Phonetic Alphabet again. I defer to you. There there's a lot of novels, aren't there? I feel like there's like thirty. There's not
4: thirty, but there are there are quite a few. Uh-huh. The place where I would recommend someone start if they're interested in the books is there are a couple of short story collections that are quite excellent. Mm-hmm. And then there's the novels that that follow the main characters in a slightly more linear fashion, although not entirely. <laughs> um, and there are there are about seven or eight of those, I think, and some additional short stories that take place later in the continuity.
3: So did you play the games as well, Sarah? Oh, yes.
4: Yeah, I came in to... Uh, I first learned about The Witcher through the game, so I've, I've okay. played uh, Witcher 2 and 3 and, and all the expansions. Ooh,
3: that sounds like a lot. It's a big game, isn't it?
4: It's a lot. It's a great way to waste time. Phenomenal. <laughs> Highly recommend.
3: What about you, Maddie? How did you come across The Witcher?
4: I started off properly gaming
5: probably about three or four years ago now. Mm-hmm. So I only had my laptop to start off with and I, the first Witcher game was on sale, so I grabbed it and I tried and failed to get through the first part of it because <laughs> it is very dated now. And uh, as a, as a late modern gamer, it just didn't quite do it for me. But yeah, yeah. later on, I played the entirety of the Witcher 3, sadly not the expansions yet, but that is a yet. I will at some point. And very much enjoyed it. Had a really great time. I have also seen both series of the Netflix series. And the most nerdy thing that I've done is that I have watched two... Like multiple hour long YouTube videos by a guy on YouTube called Joseph Anderson, who does analyses of the Witcher games. Oh yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. I've seen the. I've not watched these videos, but I, I've seen this guy.
5: Yeah, yeah, and they are extremely detailed, and I find video essays really weirdly comforting, mm. and so it's kind of like I rewatched them recently, even though they're so long, and um, <laughs> yeah, just the level of analysis is is really interesting, and because I've only played like a third of the witcher 2 and i didn't quite get along with it but i still really wanted to know kind of where it went having the kind of multiple paths laid out for me by this Mm. youtuber was really helpful and interesting
3: nice then the next question then is because i've seen people talking about this online but because i haven't played the games i don't really have a stance on this but what do you think about The Witcher TV show compared to the games? Like, what are the differences? I mean, they're completely different mediums, obviously, but like, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Tell me your thoughts about the different adaptations of the story.
4: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. They have, I think, very different strengths and kind of get to jam in very different ways. The games are just phenomenally immersive. And mm-hmm. I love how... You know, there's a set storyline, but also a lot of freedom within that. If you care about gear, there's so much gear for you to upgrade and craft. Oh, my Lord. You know, there are all the Witcher contracts. So if you just want to destroy monsters, that's a thing you can do. It sets up incentives and sort of structures its mechanics That you learn the game relatively quickly and then kind of get to embody Geralt, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, probably why Henry Cavill was very excited to play him and wanted to make the series happen. And I think the series does an admirable job of translating a lot of the weirdness in the world without shying away from it. It's a very strange lore and information is introduced in very strange orders in in The Witcher. And the series kind of embraced the spirit of the franchise in a way that I thought was very cool. But I'd be curious for your thoughts, Maddie.
5: Yeah, obviously. Yeah, you're absolutely right with the two different mediums having different strengths. And I think even though I enjoyed The Witcher 3 video game, I fell in love with Geralt in the tv show because partly (laughs) partly as we were saying all fair henry cavill covered in dirt is just a a gift to us all and partly because he really gets the kind of dry humor across and really Mm. gets the sense of oh i don't want to be doing all this hero stuff but i guess i must (laughs) Um, and um i really enjoy that and I also really like in the TV series you get to learn more about the female characters like Jennifer and Ciri, and oh, even though in The Witcher Three you get a big chunk of Ciri, it was really fun for me not having read the books to learn more about kind of Ciri's origin and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yes, one thing about the the games is that there's there's a lot of boob in the in the <laughs> oh, <yeah>. sorcerers, <laughs> oh, <yeah. sense.
4: laughs>
5: which I have mixed feelings about, but yeah.
4: <laughs> It feels very of its era, too. It's like classic early arts boob, the way that video games do.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I can date it. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean with, like, improbable clothing choices. Especially because, if I remember correctly, isn't aren't The Witcher games meant to be set in quite a sort of cold climate?
4: Yes, you're in the north, so... That's definitely the time to be showing your abs off for sure is, <laughs> is like basically in fantasy Germany. Yeah.
3: And yet also one of the, again, if I remember correctly, one of the iconic images from the Witcher is that one of Geralt in the bath. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Which they recreated for the show. And I was like, good job, guys. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah. And oh, another fun show reference in season two that I enjoyed in, in the game's, you can have a sexual encounter with Yennefer on the back of a stuffed unicorn. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And they mentioned that in the show as a kind of throwaway (laughs) line.
4: That is a detail from the books, by the way. They do grab it from the original source material, is that Yennefer has a a stuffed unicorn and uses it for trysts. That is good to know. (laughs) It's it's a
3: common thread. (laughs) that i did not know (laughs) (laughs) this is just the kind of
4: fun thing you can experience when you when you get into the witcher yeah you gotta be inventive sometimes (laughs) (laughs) yeah the books are are very cool it makes me want to learn polish because i don't know if this is something that the author is doing or if this is coming out of a more eastern european tradition of literature but like They get formally very weird. Like there's chapters that are just all dialogue or Mm. chapters that sort of take place out of order or just sort of weird details thrown into stories, kind of in a way where if you were taking like a creative writing class or like a screenwriting class, it would be drilled out of you. But in Mm. these books, it works like it's very cool and interesting. So like, oddly enough, the unicorn, not the weirdest thing in the Witcher world. (laughs)
3: Hmm. What is the weirdest thing in the Witcher world? Oh, man.
5: Mm. (laughs) Oh, boy. I think one of the things I would have to pick out is the kind of concept of the conjunction of the spheres.
4: That's a good call, yeah. Which
5: I have a basic understanding of where I think it's basically like humans and elves and monsters are all from different worlds and they all kind Mm. of collided into one and it kind of suggests the presence of multiple like different universes which possibly like relate to different kind
4: of genres yeah. of fiction it's it's a multiverse is my understanding oh. and at some point the original inhabitants of the world of the continent where the story takes place on were the elves and then the conjunction of the spheres happened and a lot of other species including humans, dwarves, halflings and also monsters end up on the world and have to figure out how to live together or not as the case often is <laughs> um, the cool thing about Siri is as we saw at the end of the second season of the show and is is a part of the games and the books too, obviously, is that she has the power to kind of move in time and space between all of the different spheres and different worlds. And so like at the end of season two, she and Geralt like bamf briefly into a completely different world. And that's, that's something that Sokowski plays with. Like, I think at one point he sends the crew to like the Isle of Avalon. So like our world is included in all of this madness.
3: Now that's interesting. And thank you, by the way, for explaining the conjunction of the spheres, because as I've said, I've only seen the TV series. So when like, they only just started to explain that a little bit in the second season. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess. Okay. We'll go with that then. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of having just seen the series and
5: played some of the games and also seen YouTube videos, which includes lore from the books, I kind Mm. of forget where all my pieces of knowledge come from. And so it's hard (laughs) to kind of resolve like, oh yeah, that's from that. And that's from this. It's (laughs) It's all a bit piecemeal. Kind of like The Witcher
3: itself, I guess. (laughs) That's very true. There's nothing wrong with that. I had no idea though, that it was actually like a multiverse. I thought it was some kind of I don't know what I thought. I very much just happily just just gaze upon the screen and I just accept things as they are when it comes to The Witcher.
4: Which is a wonderful way to watch The Witcher, I must say.
3: I can't be doing with critically analysing things outside of my day job. I can't do it anymore. (laughs) I don't have enough energy. (laughs) So if my brain might ping and go, that doesn't make sense, I'll be like, oh, well, Never mind.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, luckily, you know, it's not like I was talking to someone about this the other day of like Game of Thrones, for example, or Lord of the Rings or some other sort of high fantasy series really wants you to understand the lore Mm. and like really wants like it's key to what's happening that you sort of get like this ring business is... Uh, manifestation of evil and like all all the, the things you can watch The Witcher and not care about the lore at all and you're fine because yeah, because mm-hmm. Geralt's in a bathtub or covered in dirt or one and then the other and it's great
3: yeah I'm really fascinated by the concept of what a witcher is yeah which as I understand it they sort of essentially get tortured as children by being given this special elixir thing and it gives them special powers yeah Mm -hmm. spot on yeah the trial of the grasses i think it's called yeah and theoretically they don't have feelings but they obviously have feelings yeah (laughs) i don't know why anyone thought for a minute it's like
4: the (gasps) ultimate teenage boy thing it's phenomenal of like Oh, I walk into town and everyone thinks I'm cold and heartless and have no feelings, but I have feelings <laughs> Like it's such a good it's such a good device. I love it. Mm. And I also
5: like the thing of possibly the reason why they tell themselves that they don't have feelings is because they wish that was the case because mm. they feel so much mm-hmm. and they have to go through so much trauma.
3: Yeah, and that just makes
5: it super sad.
3: It is really that—that's the thing. Like it's there's like a like a melancholy, like a tragedy to what I know so far of The Witcher, and I think that draws me into it. And also, like I just I will watch almost any fantasy thing. I will give any of it a go, and I think they've done quite well with it. Speaking of the witches. There was one in season two that got turned into a tree. Yep. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I gather that he's actually quite a big part of the games.
4: Eskil? So Eskil is a beloved part of the game. You can hang out with him in Witcher 3 and he has a very distinct personality. Yeah, they basically murk him in <laughs> episode one or two of season two. It's very early on. Mm. Yeah, which caused a little bit of an outcry among fans, I know. Although I thought it was cool. He does, he does indeed get turned into like a lesion, which is like a tree monster Mm. that then Geralt has to kill. Yeah. And it's sad.
3: It was really sad. And also like, it looked really painful. Again. They're all sad boys. All the Witchers are sad boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what was what's Escal like in the games? Because I was, because I did recognize the name because from dipping a toe into fandom, I noticed that there everyone was shipping him and Geralt. So <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, so this Escal must be a major part of the plot. I wonder what will happen to him. Then just <laughs> nope. So, what does he do in the game? Like, why is he so beloved? You said he has a distinct personality, but like,
4: there's a phenomenal section in the game where you and a bunch of allies that you've gathered throughout defend Kaer Morin, which is the Witcher stronghold. Yeah. From the Wild Hunt, which is this group of supernatural kind of elven folk mm. want Siri for reasons. And Eskil is is a very sarcastic you know larger than life kind of figure. He and another Witcher, Lambert, who also shows up in the in the TV show are kind of your two main allies at Kaer Morhen. So that's 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 him in the games. It's not like a huge role, but he he was a fan favorite. And I totally understand why the showrunners wanted to do what they did both to sort of make a statement of like this is not going to be the games. We are telling um. our own story here. And also sort of give Geralt, <laughs> another sad thing <laughs> that he can be <laughs> yes. sad about. And sort of, it, it's, you know, I'm i am not usually a fan of, like, murder as a vehicle for character growth, like yeah. it should exist on its own. But I think in the show, Geralt has a very complicated relationship to his past mm. and to Ker Morin, and the choice he has to make with Eskil then informs another choice that he makes later in the series, in a way that I think is very interesting and useful, because he he's put in the same spot with Siri later mm. at the end, where she's endangering everyone to care more, and and he could do what he did with Eskil. We know he's capable of it because we mm. watched him do it. But such as his dad vibes are so strong at that point <laughs> that he he cannot, and he uses the power of love to get through to Siri instead, which is great.
3: <laughs> love the power of love. Yeah. <laughs> What did you think of the finale, Maddie? I, I really enjoyed it. Mm. I had
5: a great time. I think unfortunately I was kind of doing something else while I was watching it so I didn't <laughs> give it my full attention. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, I think having a big emotional climax where the relationship between Geralt and Siri is really tested is really is a really great way to go. Mm. And um I was just thinking as well about the kind of running theme of what is a monster, what makes a monster. Yes. And I just I find that really, really fascinating and Obviously, like, is Siri a monster because she has all these weird powers? Is Geralt mm. a monster because he's been, like, mutilated and been m- manipulated? Is, like, yeah. is the character we meet near the start of the series, the kind of Warthog man, a monster, because <laughs> uh, he's just had a curse put on him? All this kind of thing, and it makes you think about appearances and actions and how we define things and how society kind of forces people into corners.
3: Mm. Yeah. I love that. You've absolutely hit the nail on the head because... I love engaging with media that's exploring monstrosity and like the concept of the monstrous. And I'm sure I've said it before on this podcast, but like, it's just a really interesting topic for me, especially where it comes to when various media explore, well, can one be monstrous and still human or can Mm -hmm. one be monstrous and still a person? Can one stop being monstrous? What what makes a monster and all of that that
4: is it defined inwardly or by society as a whole
3: yeah yes yes exactly oh it is such a sad show now i'm thinking (laughs) about it Bless
4: him. No, but it does the thing that I love that I I love music that does this too where the lyrics mm. are really heartbreaking but like the sound is really peppy and happy. Mm. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. the Witcher, yeah, yeah. the Witcher is very sad if you think about it too long, but it's just a very fun, involving action show if you're looking at it on the surface and like I th- I think that's a thing that's cool about it.
3: Mm.
5: On an aesthetic note, the kind of um riffing on the same theme, y- Yennefer's fashion is just on point.
3: The whole time,
5: just absolutely
3: immaculate.
4: No notes.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I was about to, I was about to bring her up actually as an interesting exploration of like, I mean, she becomes treated like a monster by her own people when they think that she's a traitor.
5: Mm.
3: And that's interesting as well in terms of like, like social constructs of monsters, like what does treason mean? Absolutely. That's very interesting. And also in terms of like her search for power which is often constructed in narratives as if you want power too much, then, you know, it will go badly for you. But she's a very morally gray person. Mm. And I really enjoy that about her.
4: Yeah, I really, I really love both her in the games and in the show. There's slightly different flavors of the same problem. Mm -hmm. But I think in both, you really see that her desire for power comes out of, a need for safety and security, which yeah. is something that I think is very true and often gets glossed over when dealing with characters who who crave power or control. So like again, it's there the Witcher comes sideways at a at a lot of normal fantasy things. Um mm. and and the result is very cool, I find.
3: I absolutely agree. <laughs> I wanna talk about the wizards some more actually. Yeah because There are lots of different tropes that are associated with sort of magic schools and learning how to like be a wizard or a witch or a warlock or a sorcerer or whichever word you want. And the relationships between Yennefer and Triss and Tissaia, I think her name is, Mm -hmm. are all very interesting to me in terms of... Like how relationships with people that you knew when you were a kid develop as you grow up and become an adult, right. or with teachers, and how those can change as you become on an equal footing. I think that those are treated really well in the show. I don't know if they're similar in the games.
4: The games are interesting in that, like, there's there's a lot of a lot more. I think of the rivalry between mm. the wizards and the witches, and then in Witcher three, they're kind of being hunted and persecuted. And so there's like a, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of a vibe going on with a lot of them. Yeah, But yeah, I'm also just stunned by like how little I understand magic in The Witcher Mm. and how that's mostly okay. Like I know (laughs) season one of the show, a lot of the early Yennefer plots were like her learning to do magic. And I still couldn't explain it to you now if I tried.
5: (laughs) Yeah. Because there's something about kind of channeling chaos that I didn't notice in the games. It may have been there, but I just didn't notice. But yeah, it seems very particular to the show. I don't know if it's in the books, though.
4: There's a lot of it in the the books that I have read. And I imagine that there's more in the ones that I have not. And it gets back into sort of the books have have a more kind of environmental concern with like this world that has been damaged and people are siphoning things from it, whether it's chaos magic or whether oh. it's human settlement, the continent is a place that's not yet at a breaking point, but like could get there. Mm. Which is which is something that's interesting about those.
3: That is interesting. I hadn't thought about it in terms of a story about the environment and about not dying world, but like a broken world. Mm. Yeah.
4: And like the threat of it becoming a dying world is Mm. is part of... And that shows up in the games too. Yeah, with the
3: wild hunt and the the frost and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Hmm. I think the magic system is interesting because my understanding is that it's about balance because I remember there's that scene of one of the girls makes a flower bloom, but then her hand withers at the same time. So it's, you always have to take from one thing to cause another thing to happen which i think is an interesting philosophy to apply to magic yeah
5: absolutely i do find some magic systems somewhat unsatisfying when you can just kind of conjure things up without any consequences or repercussions Mm. yeah i like things having a price even if it's kind of makes things difficult yeah even if it's in D, &D and you're just like you only have a certain number of spell slots even if it's as mundane as that you're like you can't just do everything willy-nilly all the time
3: it's why a lot of systems have something like mana as well yeah totally so you have to be able to choose carefully what spells you want to use on that slight tangent i think we're going to take a little break and we'll be back in a second
0: Hello
3: everyone, Helen here, who you may know from Rusty Quill Gaming and Enthusiasm. Today, I'm here to tell you about We're Alive Descendants, the sequel series to the award-winning audio drama We're Alive. From Casey Weyland and Weyland Productions, We're Alive is a survival horror odyssey spanning six seasons and 13 years. Set 18 years after the original series We're Alive, A Story of Survival, Follow the harrowing journey of the next generation of survivors in descendants as they discover how much of the world has changed, how the infected have evolved, and face the conflict sparked by humanity's efforts to reclaim a lost civilization. Join this new generation as they work to make sense of this deadly new world before it consumes them and everything they know and love. We're Alive, Descendants, will bring together narrative threads from the first six seasons, but is also a great place to start for those new to We're Alive, and should appeal to fans of zombie fiction in general. Created and produced by Wayland Productions and executive produced by us here at Rusty Quill, We're Alive, Descendants premieres April 5th. Search for We're Alive wherever you listen to your podcasts or visit www.we'realive.com or www.rustyquill.com For more information. And welcome back. Okay, so we briefly mentioned this during the break, but I want to talk about favorite characters from The Witcher because I would like to talk about... I can never figure out how to pronounce his name in my head. Is it Jaskier? 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 (laughs) Dandelion.
4: So if you want, you can just say Dandelion and it will be correct. We'll call him Dandelion. Because yaskier is i think it's yaskier right maddie
5: yeah that's yeah Yeah. that's that's how okay
4: the character in the books and the games is just referred to as dandelion which is this fanciful bard nickname and the show was like we're not calling a character dandelion so they just used (laughs) the polish word for it and so he's yaskier
3: oh that's really nice i didn't know that's where it came from Mm -hmm. oh Well, I have been loving his character. He is one of my favorite characters in the show. And I think that is true for many. Absolutely. Yeah, it's
4: true for me, for sure. Mm -hmm.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I really love that they have, oh, what's his name? Joey Beatty, I think is the name of the Mm -hmm. actor that that he's like actually the one singing and he's got his own band and everything. Excellent casting choice. Yeah. Tell me your your thoughts. I saw a little clip
5: probably on social media somewhere about the scene in the cell with the with the mice and apparently <laughs> that was all improvised. <laughs> in- Incredible. Oh. And uh, the comments were like, make this man a Disney Prince stat kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and just uh just absolutely adorable. <laughs> he is a not
4: safe for work Disney Prince. That's kind of how you would describe him, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't he would have to be one of like the more modern Disney princes who aren't really a prince. Yeah, he could show
4: up on the tangled TV show and be just fine.
3: Yeah. <laughs> like a, like a rascally type person. I don't know if either of you have seen when he tried to... It's on YouTube. He has like this 10 minute video of when he tried to make a cake. Oh
4: yeah, for the... There was in Lockdown the uh, Great Witcher Bake Off.
3: Yes.
4: The video is
3: art. It's, it's so wonderful. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I highly recommend if anyone's having a bad day, go and watch that because it is just pure chaos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, I think very relatable. At one point, I think he's just sitting on the floor... Covered in flour, eating cake with his yeah, hands.
4: Yeah, it ends with Joey Beatty on the floor of his kitchen, covered in flour and goop. Cry <laughs> eating a cake from Tesco's. Yes. It's
3: phenomenal. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> I need to seek this out. <laughs> <laughs> highly, highly recommended. I think if I had one small gripe, it's that I wish they gave him more sort of serious character development mm. because he's very much there to be sort of quite funny and light-hearted. Yeah. But it would be nice to get him treated more seriously because I think he's a really interesting character.
5: Yeah, I think that that's definitely makes sense because there's lots of potential for the kind of betrayal mm. he feels from Geralt. And even though it is explored a bit, it kind of gets a little bit swept under the rug and yeah. it would be nice to see them hash it out a bit
4: more. It's interesting. I think you're right, Maddie. He does kind of get to be put in more serious situations in the second season, but he's never taken seriously, which mm. is a shame because, you know, there's, there is a lot there and a lot of it's ridiculous and we've covered that in great detail <laughs> and mined great comedy from it. One of the things I really liked about pairing him with Yennefer in season two is that he's he's put in a more dramatic situation where mm. he actually gets to come through.
3: I mean, he gets tortured.
5: Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that Joey Beatty himself kind of struggled a bit with that scene because it was so kind of intense, which is a shame.
3: Oh, bless him. See, that's another thing. It's like the actor seems quite likable as well. (laughs) So I think that's also why we like him. (laughs) Any other like standout characters from any of the Witcher media that we want to talk about?
4: I would like to shout out anyone who's ever played the video game knows that Roach, Geralt's horse, (laughs) is very buggy in that you know he shows up on weird parts of the map when you call him he often runs into trees or invisible walls that are there in the game but aren't there on your interface he'll he'll <laughs> he'll bug out and like half of him will appear and there's something i when i talk to people about the games there's something really endearing and wonderful about roach not functioning properly all of the time <laughs> and that just being part of the witcher playing experience so love roach yeah
5: and i think i've seen this in a video but not played this myself, but I think in one of the expansions Roach gets of gets to speak,
4: oh yes that that is a thing that happens <laughs> <laughs> and has a very
5: incongruous voice, if I remember correctly,
4: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, you can find it, you don't have to play through the expansions, you can find this on YouTube, mm-hmm. but yes, and in the books it's like a place name like Geralt has different horses because you know if you were in this witchering profession you'd probably go through a lot of horses and he calls all of them Roach oh but in in the show and and in the games it's it's one Roach
3: that's something that I've seen popping up on Tumblr nice which is the idea that Roach is actually immortal and Geralt just thinks that all horses are like that <laughs> <laughs> I love that which I think is very funny <laughs> But are witches immortal? No, they're just very long-lived. Mm. Interesting. They
4: can definitely be killed and they live for like hundreds of years. They have part of the sort of serum stuff, the the mutagens that get administered to them like slows mm. down their metabolism or something so that they age very very slowly.
1: I
3: see. I see.
5: And there's, I find it really interesting the parallels between the sorceresses and the witchers because they have a lot of the same kind of experiences, like going through traumatic things in childhood to learn their craft and not Hmm. aging the same as other people and kind of being apart from society, all that kind of thing. Yeah, not
4: being able to have children too, which is a big deal
3: in the books. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Any other favorite characters? I feel bad that we haven't mentioned Geralt yet. Geralt is great. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about him. The whole series is about him. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but you said something about him having such a tragic backstory and needing to deal with a lot of things that perhaps he hasn't explored yet.
4: Right. And just being grumpy, generally, in mm. an endearing way, in all of all of those the mediums, actually. There's a lot of like... Ah oh, this again about <laughs> Geralt
3: <laughs> Yeah. I'm too old for this.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm too old for this stuff.
3: Well, if you live for hundreds of years you would get fed up, wouldn't you? <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Ooh, this is one of the instances where I'm desperately
5: trying to remember a name and can't what's the name of kind of Geralt's mentor? Oh, Vesemir. Vesemir, that's it. Vesemir's mm. great. Yeah, yeah. I think Vesemir, Geralt's kind of mentor figure, is very interesting because as with Tissaia and Yennefer, they have this weird relationship of Vesemir kind of raised Geralt and Geralt respects mm. him a lot, but also put him through all these horrible experiences in order to become a yeah. witcher. And the conflict that they have in the second season of like whether they should use Suri to try and make more witchers... I thought was very cool.
3: Yeah. I do love that thing where like there's a conflicted mentor-mentee relationship because you love your mentor very much, but also they taught you in really harsh ways. I love it when things explore that. Yeah, definitely.
4: Yeah. And there's more in the show than... Because in the games, I think... In all the mediums that the series is in, we start in a place where the technology is no longer there to make more witchers. Mm-hmm. And in the games and the books, everyone's kind of like, yeah, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> and the show sort of explores a conflict in that, which I think is really, was, was very cool. Yeah.
3: Okay, I want to move us into a little predictions part. Ooh. So from what you know of the TV show, what you know of the games... What do you think is going to happen next? I would love to hear some wild speculation mm-hmm. because I suspect that if I was them, what I would do next season is we had that thing where Siri sort of discovers her power to sort of hop into a different world, right? And the Wild Hunt turn up, and they're quite interested in Siri. So I would imagine that the next season is going to be dealing with. The wild hunt and possibly other incursions from other dimensions coming after Siri and potentially her like learning more about her powers because Jennifer was just starting to teach her how to use magic as well at the end of that. And I think I'm hoping that there's gonna be a, a more of the found family vibe where it's gonna be Jennifer, Geralt, and Yaskia bringing up Ciri I think to come into her own but I also think there's going to be a lot of war and politics going on as well Yeah, but that I am much less good at predicting <laughs> what do you think?
4: Yeah
5: I think I definitely agree that Wild Hunt and Ciri's powers will be important and I definitely want there to be found family stuff for sure <laughs> and one thing that we haven't discussed yet is the the elves um, in the Witcher universe because yeah, yeah, yeah. I yes. find them very interesting and complicated because in some ways they are an oppressed class because they're treated as second class but in other ways they're kind of supremacists mm. and they believe that they're better than everyone else and they want to restore the world and according to the lore the world was theirs and the humans and the monsters kind of came in so mm. it's like, yeah, how how are they going to Play into this, and they've already kind of committed this atrocity of like the the grieving mother had killed yeah. all the babies in a in the town um, just because she was so grief stricken. So yeah, it's a big complicated thing that I think will probably be
4: more important next season.
3: I think you're absolutely right.
4: No, and I think that'll that'll feed into the politics of it, mm. which they teased more than they did. This last season, so I think we're I think we're in for a lot more politics mm. with as we talked about Emir showing up in Sintra. So you've got the the Nilfgaardians, which are kind of a more southerly like Mediterranean power empire, coming up to the north, which is more fractured and has has kings and things. And I think Helen, that's that's spot on about. Did uh, they seemed to be setting up the wild hunt? So I think that's what we're in for, mm. in terms of Geralt, Ciri, and Yennefer for sure. And then there's another character that we just at the end of of season two, we see we've seen this owl throughout. And finally, we mm. see her turn into yeah. who she is, which is which is a wizard. And so I'm I'm excited for more Philippa Eilhart content. Yeah,
5: because, um, <laughs> yeah, she turns up in The Witcher 3 and I hadn't played any of The Witcher 2 or seen the, the massively long analysis videos at that point. So <laughs> I only had a kind of vague idea who she was and she seemed like quite a, an interesting and complex character. So yeah, I'm interested to see if the that plot line follows the way it does in in the games and the books.
4: Yeah. Yeah. They've done a good job of like I think incorporating elements while still trying to make the story their own. So like Yennefer's whole storyline in season 2 doesn't show up anywhere else. Mm. Of like her basically making a bargain with Witcher Baba Yaga. Um <laughs> I hesitate to lean on my knowledge of the books and the games too much because I'm like, they're going to want to do some stuff that's just for them. Yeah. But Philippa Eilhart has very cool storylines in the games and the books. And we've got a lot of like very crafty, spy characters on the board. So I think we're in for a lot of intrigue. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> I do love that. I do love a good political intrigue in my fantasy shows.
4: <laughs> Two great tastes, <laughs> taste great together. <laughs>
5: and i'm interested to see if they bring zoltan chive into the tv show because he's such a big supporting character in the games and he follows the trope of scottish dwarf which i have mixed feelings about (laughs) (laughs) like it's fine but it's just like why are they always scottish
3: (laughs) it's it's a little lazy at this point yeah yeah does he also have red hair and a big beard Mm-hmm. Oh,
5: <laughs> I think he I has think like, brown, brown more. Yeah, brown, but... and he has a kind of mohawk <laughs> at one point. Oh, yeah, he does. Oh,
3: I'd love to see more dwarves with mohawks. That's a fun character trait you don't see very often. <laughs> yeah, I'd also in the next season I'd like to see more of Dara.
4: Yeah,
3: the elf who was friends with Siri.
4: Oh, such a good job they did with him this season. Mm. They gave him a thing to do. It was great because he yeah. shows up. He shows up in like one story in the books, oh. and that's kind of it.
3: I'm hoping that he'll be involved in the political entry because he was starting to sort of be... I mean, he was a spy, basically. Yeah. And I'd be very interested to see if he... Because he can either decide that was a very bad decision and I'm never going to do anything like that again, or he can decide no, I need to do whatever I can to help my people because we're now going to, they're going to be in a war against the humans now, basically, Mm -hmm. because they've now like proved all the human's prejudices right about how you can't trust elves and all this. Mm. Yeah. So it would be interesting. I think both of those paths would be interesting for him either to become like a defector or to fully plunge into the idea of sort of being devoted to a war. And it's cool that, dara
4: started as a spy who like didn't have a political agenda he had this political awakening of like Mm. i i want to you know i need to stand up for my people i am an elf and i wonder if in subsequent seasons he's going to be like but i'm not a fanatic or he is going to become a fanatic and is going to be like i will i will die for the elves in which case he will be another sad boy with more sad
2: things
3: (laughs) (laughs) because he was so gentle when we first met him i know Mm. Yeah, Just a little kid. Mm. I'm, I've got a lot of soft feelings. <laughs> I just want to be like, oh, it's okay.
5: I was just thinking about in The Witcher 2, you have to make a choice, a uh, key point in the game between whether you join forces with the Skoyatel, which is the Elvish resistance force, or Vernon Roach, who is um, a human kind of Part of the aristocratic hierarchy. And yeah. it's interesting to have that kind of dichotomy. And just from having seen the super long video essays, they basically <laughs> turned the game into like two whole different games at that point, yeah. which is very Im- ambitious and impressive. And wow. so even though I haven't played it the whole thing, it didn't quite work for me when i when i tried it first. Yeah, i might go back to it and see how it how it plays out because it just seems like a very like yeah, just again a very ambitious thing to do to have so much content that you can only do in a in one run and you have to do multiple runs of the game to get all the stuff.
4: Yeah. No, it's a thing because like they give you choices that have real weight and change the ending, which is a thing lots of games do now. Mm. But it encourages replayability. And often, like, my first question when I know someone has played the games would be like, oh, what ending did you get? Mm. Because it's sort of, it's, it's a wonderful, again, way to sort of immerse you and evolve you is that, like, your choices change the game that you play. Mm. I'm replaying Dragon
5: Age Inquisition at the moment as a kind of comfort game. Of <laughs> and I wonder if they were influenced by The Witcher 2, because they have a very similar choice where you have to choose to go with the mages or the Templars. And you can have quite different diverging plot lines. Depending on who you choose, so yeah, I wonder if I wonder if someone who played The Witcher two and was like, hmm, That's someone at buyer where I was <laughs> right, right. <laughs>
3: taking notes. <laughs> out of interest, with The Witcher, are, are the endings just different, or are some of them like bad endings and some of them good endings?
4: I think there's like in Witcher three the one bad ending that you can mm. get where the game has been out for a very long time, where Siri dies. Oh no, you can get that ending, but a lot of them are just sort of flavors of resolving Geralt and Ciri's relationship in different ways.
3: Oh. Well, that's nice to know. If well, I ever do play it, I won't I will just try and keep Siri alive and not worry too much about getting the most perfect possible outcomes. But speaking of endings, I think we've come to the end of the episode. I am very proud of that segue that I just made. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, listener, for coming along with us and listening to us talk about The Witcher in all of its different forms. Thank you so much, Maddie and Sarah, for talking to me about this. It's been so interesting because I don't know that much about it, and I've learned a lot. (laughs) So you'll see me on the next episode. But for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from them. Do you want to say goodbye, you two? Goodbye.
4: Goodbye. This has been a, such a pleasure. Thank you for having yes, us. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> Yay.
3: Enthusiasm is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial Share Alike 4.0 international license. It is directed by Helen Gould. Produced by Lori Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner, and edited by Marissa Ewing, Tessa Broom, and Catherine Minella. Thanks for listening.